Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Shop. This is the podcast for product-based businesses where I speak to both retail buyers and brand owners about what it's really like to start and grow a retail business. My name is Therese and my mission is to help you build and scale a profitable business through wholesale. And today I'm going to be joined by Lucy Hitchcock, who's the founder of Partner in Wind and digital marketing agency, Sassy Digital. Partner in Wine is a brand that aims to keep your favorite drinks perfectly chilled, on the go, or hot. Uh, And the story behind uh, Partner in Wine is a tale of serendipity. It all started with the quest for a chilled rosé on a sunny day, and I am sure we will hear more about that. Sassy Digital is a digital marketing agency helping brands with their ongoing website, e-commerce, social media, and marketing support. And Lucy's also the host of the Winging It podcast, where I've also been a guest. We're flipping the script <laughs> this time. I invited Lucy because or partner in wine, she's gone down the less traditional route when it comes to getting into stores as she marketed it so well that buyers came to her instead of the more traditional route of reaching out to them. So I can't wait to hear all about it. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to Let's Talk Shop. So much for having me. I love how you described that as a, as a tale of serendipity. To be honest, I loved when ChatGBT gave me that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> You've got to be honest about these things, don't you? Yeah, you do. I I mean, I would love to be the kind of person that would use serendipity just casually, but um, I'm not. <laughs> I thought we'd dive straight in and we'll, I would love to know a little bit, even before we talk about like what Partners Wine is, like how did you start to selling wholesale? Because I think it was just amazing the way you've done it. Thanks. Um, so after seven months of being launched, so this was, so I launched in July 2020 and then I got to March 21. So I think that's roughly around seven months. So basically I, um, I'd always wanted to be stocked in Selfridges. And like, that's, I mean, I feel like that's the type of thing that everyone says, right, it would be amazing if I could be stocked in Selfridges. But when I held my packaging, my final, final sample in my hands for the first time, I turned to my dad, and this is because we, um, during COVID in 2020, we were sat opposite each other um, on my parents' kitchen table working. And I said to my dad, that, is going to be stopped in Selfridges. And he was like, yeah, I've got no doubt that it is. Just because I was looking at the packaging, I was like, this looks amazing. Um, You know, the branding was there. Um, Obviously, I did all these things um, through Sassy. So I already had a kind of idea of what it takes, in my opinion, to build a successful brand. And now just to kind of like caveat this, because I think it's a lot of people's goals to be stocked in Selfridges, right? And I mean, I guess we'll go on to this a little bit later on, but um, I did actually ask them when I first, when they first reached out to me, I spoke to my buyer on the phone. And I said, why, just out of interest, why do you, what kind of stood out? Um, and one of the things is he said to me that it was the br- the whole brand. It wasn't just that it was like a viral TikTok thing. Um, and this is what I'm quite keen to sort of, 
for people to see through my brand is that I I don't see myself as just another TikTok brand. And I don't mean that offensively to anyone who is a TikTok brand um, or has grown their business on TikTok because it's absolutely amazing. It's so great that this platform can help so many people to live the life that they want. You know, if you want to be a business owner, you want to have freedom, you want eventually financial freedom. You don't want to be constrained to the kind of nine to five um it is amazing but um he said to me that the branding was what really appealed to them um and so when they reached out to me after I'd had this viral video it's my very first viral video the very same day they messaged me I was sat at my desk here in this very room just shaking from the adrenaline not quite sure what to do because I'd had tens of thousands of pounds worth of sales from this video by about three o'clock the email came through and I thought it was a joke. The subject line said, um, partner in wine stocked in Selfridges or something. And I was like, who's this joker? You think you're being funny, do you? <laughs> and then I clicked on it, looked at the email and it was legit. And I was like beside myself. And that at that point, I, I did have a little cry, I'm not going to lie, because I was like, what have I done? <laughs> um, and that was, that was it. That was the first of many actually that I was stocked with so that's kind of how it happened um but I guess how it keeps happening is keeping up with the marketing staff videos TikTok etc yeah and I guess because you had that marketing background that's probably like where your strengths were so it's natural for you to go down that route of getting noticed by marketing your products rather than reaching out in a cold email yeah exactly I'm really I'm actually horrendous on emails as well like I'm so bad at replying to emails so I wouldn't I don't think I'd get anywhere if I was doing that (laughs) well I think that just shows that you know you can build a brand in so many different ways right it doesn't have to be one way I don't know lane or whatever it just can be Many different ways, and you should lean into your strengths, which I think is really, really cool. Um, if we take a step back, then, like, how did you start Partner in Wine? Because I love this story. Oh, well, I'll tell it. I love telling this from the, the horse's mouth. I've said this so many times as well. Um, so basically, just after the first lockdown in 2020. Had my bottle of wine chilling in the fridge all day. Went to go and meet my best friend, Maddie, in the park for a socially distanced drink. Like our very first one where we could, you know, socially distance from one other person that wasn't in our bubble. And um, I said to my parents, because I was living at home at the time, I said to my mum, well, by the time I get to the park, the wine's going to be warm. And um, she produced this really sad looking bag, which I've got a photo of. And I actually think I've got it somewhere in here, but I I don't know where it is. but she gave me this really sad looking bag that was a sort of cooler bag for one bottle of wine. And I was just looking at it like, <laughs> it's not really the vibe. Like I'm a brand gal. Like I love finding a brand that I'm like, yes, I'm so on board with like this. Give you an example, Adenola. Give me everything from that. Love it. I'm so on board with like the whole lifestyle. It's not just about the... um I mean, it is practical and they are comfortable. I will give them that. Um, Reasonably priced, but also I just love everything about the brand. It's just, that's my kind of vibe. Um, Mm. So I thought, 
after one too many cold glasses, um, not cold glasses, warm glasses, because by the time I got to the part and taking it out of the cooler bag, I know a lot about insulated things now. (laughs) (laughs) To do with surface area, warm air, et cetera, um, it ended up going warm very quickly. So it wasn't really fit for purpose. Second to that, the bins were overflowing in the park. So I was going to have to, you know, take off the foil, take my corkscrew, do all of that, then take it home and dispose of the bottle at home because the bins in the park are largely destined for landfill. It doesn't matter if they were, say, recycled on them. How many times have you put something in the bin where it says recycled um, mm. when it's not actually recyclable, you know? Yeah. Um, and the bag doesn't solve the problem if you have a corkscrew wine bottle. Like, it's not like you can stick it back in there without risking, you know, your wine pouring out. Exactly. So um, I was cycled home and I thought, there's surely there has to be a better solution, first of all. And secondly, if I was to create the solution that I think that I'm thinking of, what where is the opportunity to develop a brand around that that people can really get on board with? And how can I create a community of like-minded people? like myself, because this is a problem I'm solving for myself. So if I'm solving it for myself, how many other people are having this problem right now too? And I actually think probably it was down to, it was down to timing. This was like totally the right time to start the business. Um, And then how would I kind of execute the brand? And so then again, down to branding. Um, So I started looking for manufacturers I then started basically documenting this journey through my personal Instagram, which is like my entrepreneurial sort of profile. Um, and um, if people want to follow that, by the way, I still do do that a lot. Um, so it's at Lucy Hitchcock underscore. But um, people were really getting on board with it. I was getting new followers from this thing because people were, were discussing it. I mean, what else do we have to do in, you know, times where we couldn't socialize with people indoors so people would say to their friends like, oh I follow this girl and she's starting a business but I don't know what it is and I mean partner in mind's whole strategy is built on this whole like you don't know what's coming next I mean <laughs> even today just before I came on this call opened Instagram I've been doing something for a client opened Instagram and I've got 17 messages on there from not opening it in 30 minutes because I've got a launch on Friday and people are trying to guess what it is. They're all wrong, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I want to guess. Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to guess because I'm going to get it wrong. You know I don't like getting things wrong. <laughs> I know. I also just like, people are like, oh, go on, tell me what it is. Even um, that one of the person trains at my gym, he's like, go on, Luce, tell us. And I'm like, no, you can wait for, you can wait like everyone else. Tell me a guess because you're not going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> no no, I'm not gonna get it no never going to get it so I'm not gonna try you're gonna love love what it is I know that you're gonna love what it is um so I then yeah was documenting this process people following along and then I love telling this story because this is something that I think people really overlook when a starting a brand or b if you're not if you don't consider yourself to be good at marketing and you think that having 300 social media followers is bad or crap or, you know, your following's not growing quick enough. Um, I announced two weeks before I launched 
partner in wine and I tagged partner in wine and people were like well you're launching your own wine I was like no 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 I'm not that's not what I'm doing um, but keep guessing and by the time I got to launch I had 300 followers which I was like I think that's a good you know I think at the time maybe I had 3,000 followers so that's like 10% of that right and I was like, this is good. You know, I'm chuffed with that. I'll take that. And um, when I launched, I had so many people on my website. I launched on a live through Instagram. There was only, there was a hundred people there out of the 300 people who oh, followed. Wow. That's so, incredible. Yeah. Which is a very, very good statistic, I think. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who's worried that you've only got 300 followers, I think about having 300 people in the room. If all 300 people are on board with your business and want to buy from you, then you're winning. It takes ages and ages and ages to build up the momentum, to build up your brand, to build up your following. Like it really does. Um, but once you get into the swing of it, it, things get a lot easier. And I'm not saying that there's no sales dips in between then, but um, yeah, 300 followers. And then I didn't, I didn't it took me ages to hit 10,000 to be honest with you but um I think most of those to be honest with you did come from TikTok as well so um yeah and I had a good launch I had a really good launch people loved it I launched in July made a few thousand pounds made a few thousand pounds in August September dips down a bit October nothing I mean the weather turned I guess yeah I've only got two products at this point everyone who's wanted one has bought one well that's not true but you know the the range isn't huge mm. um, and then November I had my first five-figure month and then it just kind of continued from there and then March the following year was when I went viral um, and that's when things really began to change for me so Little, little intro to the story of partner and wife. <laughs> and you know what I love about it is, you know, like, okay, seven months is not long, but a lot of people would have said that you were like instant success, right? Because oh, they yeah. would have started following you based on that viral video. And, you know, you were still a young vid- business, but, you know, instant success doesn't mean one day. I think seven months is pretty instant, but it probably didn't feel like it. Like, I mean, let's bear in mind, I've been self-employed since I was 23. So I've been helping other people market their businesses since then. And so when people go like, oh, seven months, that's really quick for all these things to happen to you. Mm. I don't think it is because I think about my whole career and I think about myself when I was 23 years old and I put through my first accounts um, for my first year of business, which was £16,000, which is you know, just bear in mind, that's not going all on my salary. That's going on like mm. software costs, laptops. Like, you know, I wasn't making a huge amount of money for years, um, but I was just building up all of this experience for this moment. And that is how I see it. So yeah. one person's overnight success is another person's mine. What I would say is seven years, seven mm. years watching, waiting, building up, helping other people. And then finally finding something that I wanted to launch because I knew how to do it. 
Um, and had you always wanted to do, launch a product or was that just literally something that came into your mind then? I don't think so. To be honest with you, I I never like all the people, and I still work with clients now, all the people I worked with, I never once thought like, oh, I really wish that was me because launching a product comes with a whole new set of stresses. Running a service-based business is so much easier because you don't have to outlay tens of thousands of pounds on stock um, or, you know, not even that much, but like, you know, hundreds of pounds. You're not out of pocket. You're The only thing you're out of pocket with is your time. Um, so very different challenges. Um, but my dad would always say to me, like, have you ever thought about doing your own products? And I was like, well, I don't know, dad, but I don't have anything I, I feel passionate passionate enough about doing and then it was when we came to lockdown when we were actually sat in lockdown I remember him saying um getting more like or come on loose like you know there's lots of like lockdown brands that are popping up people are getting creative he's like come on like surely there's something that you could do and I was like I just don't I don't really know dad and I won't be doing anything until the moment that I think of something I'm passionate about because Mm. I do think that it is a commitment to building a business and I've had a lot of conversations with people recently if people think that starting a business is like a get rich quick scheme or well yeah a get rich quick scheme or you think business people start a business and they're instantly rich they're instantly success that is just so far from the truth most of my money goes on stock like I don't pay myself anything from partner and wine um which sounds hard to believe because I do turn over quite a large amount of revenue. But when you're a growing business, all of that profit has to go into stock. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not something I wanted to do. But then the moment I thought of it, I was like, I have the energy to see this through. And I actually could really see this, um, this see this like brand vision. And I was like, I, I can't get it out of my head. And I know that I'm the person that needs to do this. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, the way you built it has been so fun to follow, like with like the wine tips and like, like the, I don't know, frozen jalapeno ice cubes or whatever it might be. (laughs) Like anything like that. I just think it's so fun and it's so like, it's a fun brand to follow and I enjoyed the journey. What about the wholesale side? So Sanfridges came knocking and you got over the initial shock, obviously, somehow. Um, how did you make that then happen? Because just them getting in touch doesn't always mean that it's going to happen. Um, well, I was like, yeah, amazing. This is cool. Sent everything through, you know, supplier forms, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, what are your cost price? And I was like, no, sorry, what? I was like, yeah. um, oh, God, I don't know sort of thought how how am I gonna work this out well no no no, it's fine it's fine I'll work it out um I then a friend of mine um who used to be a beauty buyer who a few people might know um she's called Jen she used to run a brand called Lunea um but she has now moved on to greener pastures um but she has um a huge amount of knowledge about 
obviously retail because she used to be a buyer she knows how they work she knows what kind of things to say she knows what the margins need to be um and she basically coached me through the whole thing love her to pieces she was literally like and even in these moments where they sent me stuff and it was like the big scary things like if you do not deliver the whole thing that we send to you we will find you and we will find you if you're late and we will find you if you're out of the time slot and we will do this and that and also we want a discount on the invoice so think about what discount you want that to be one three or five percent and I was literally looking at it like I don't want to do this anymore like this isn't fun it sounds fun this isn't fun and she picked me up and she was like she gave me a virtual slap and was like, you're doing this. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> but nothing worth having comes easy, I don't think. And actually really what that was, me having a mental breakdown about that was me, I think probably being a little bit scared about the brand growing so quickly and blowing up mm. overnight and me actually having to do some work that wasn't fun. So <laughs> yeah, because the forms are not fun. The math is not fun. <laughs> Well, actually, I think it's quite fun, but yeah. for most people, it's not fun. No, it's not. Um, also, the um, once you've done it once, you know how to do it again. So now whenever anyone gets in touch, you know, we have a line sheets, we have pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also what's so helpful is I obviously wanted to get my product stocked. But now when I release new, sorry, I wanted to get my original product stocked in Selfridges, in retailers. Um, but I priced those products based on what I thought their value was, which is really not the right way to be doing things if you want to be in wholesale. And I think it's very hard once you set your prices to like up them. So one example I'll give is the everything blanket. The everything blanket is quite expensive. It's a luxury item. It's a very lovely item, but it's 145 pounds. I sold 160 of those on launch day. Great. Amazing. Reason that the price is what it is, is because if I sell that product to Selfridges, to Liberty, to whoever, whoever else, the price that I sell it to them at has to be in line with that price. So they'll have a certain expectation of what that margin that they're expecting is. And my pricing is in line with that. So whenever I release a new product, I'll look at what the cost price is before I've even placed the order, just to see if it's viable. In my head, I'm like, okay, I would like to charge, let's just say 20 pounds for this mystery product. If I charge 20 pounds, am I going to hit the retailer's margin? And then moving back from that, if I charge 20 pounds, if that product has cost me 10 pounds, how much then do I need to sell it to the retailer at based on the margin that they're expecting? And the answer is probably less than £10 based on those margins. So it's a really interesting way now of thinking because I have a lot of new products coming out. And so now when I'm looking at the pricing for those, I work forwards, if that makes sense. So I'll go, I'll start from the top and then trickle it down to the bottom to the price that I've been given. And if that's not in line with what the pricing expectation for the full price of the product, the RRP, or the wholesale price, then I'll go back to the drawing board and be like, look, this needs to come down in price. Like, can we change the materials? 
or I'll go and get a quote from elsewhere. But I think this is a very, very important point, right? Because I actually think when you set the value and you price it based on value originally, I think you did a good job because a lot of people price their products based on the cost price alone, right? And that doesn't say anything about the brand that you're building. You're not building a budget brand, right? You're building a brand that is a certain vibe and appeals to a certain person and a certain customer or, you know, so I think you did a good job with that. And I think probably it served you better than a lot of times, because if you start on the value, more often than not, your prices are going to go up massively once you start wholesaling. You're going to have to rethink your whole brand instead of just changing one price, you know? Well, I think that's, I think also a lot of people do get quite um, nervous about their pricing and you'll get one comment from, I don't know, someone wherever they are who doesn't want to spend £145 on a picnic blanket. If you're on TikTok, they'll bloody let you know that. And then you go, oh God, have I priced this wrong? Did I get it wrong? And then actually it's just like, well, okay, Chanel priced their handbags at £6,000. Not everyone can afford that. How many handbags do you think they sell a year? It's an, like an aspirational thing. Or, you know, even, for example, the partner in wine bottle, when that went viral, people went nuts in the comments, like, £35 for a bottle? I was like, well, that's how much a water bottle costs. Mm. So, you know, what, like... I think Lululemon's water bottles are £55. So I think, you know... Also... I took a picture the other day of a Nike plastic bottle, the, just a tiny little bottle, not, may, I would say maybe 250 millilitres, plastic, the whole thing, made plastic, it's not insulated, £22. <laughs> it's crazy. I was like, you, do you know what though? Some people will buy it. Yeah, and the thing is that will appeal to a certain customer, right? And I think that is like how it helps. Your price can actually help you build your brand. You know, like Prada sells a hair scrunchie for 300 quid. I would never, ever pay 300 quid for a scrunchie. You know, I like nice scrunchies, but 300 quid. But for the Prada customer, if that was 25 pounds, they will be devaluing their brand massively. Oh, 100%. Even £100. I mean, yeah. Yeah, £300, certainly not. But there's plenty of people that would. Yeah. And for them, that's an entry-level price point. So they probably sell a load of them just because it's the cheapest thing they do. Yeah. People want a piece of the brand. Yeah. 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 So uh, since you launched in Selfridges, how has the wholesale been going? How have you gone about it? They just keep sending reorders in, Therese. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. I mean, they are great. They sell a lot. And you know what? One thing I will say is I've learned that my products sell better in store. So now when I get retailers, they're like, we're going to test them online. I'm like, that's not going to work for you. I can tell you that now. Oliver Bonus stopped them online and um, as a trial, one colour. Oliver Bonus is high place. I would go and buy a gift. So I was like, this mm-hmm. is didn't want to put them in stores and don't think they sold particularly well on their website but then there was no promotion there was no you know nothing around that the same with another uh retailer it's like a fashion retailer also sells gifts same with them try them online didn't work for them didn't promote it didn't put them in store 
and I can't I, I I get it to an extent you know you want to see what your best-selling stuff is online and put that in store yeah I mean it's bit it has been interesting working with retailers I think one thing I will say is that they're always so busy and I mean people have probably said this on your podcast before you've probably said this before um, and I think actually we've discussed this on my podcast as well is um if you don't get a reply you really have to just be ruthless because it's not that they're not replying because they don't like you. It's that they're not replying because they're busy. They're not buying that stuff at the moment. They don't want to do a reorder because they they don't need to, or you've just not gone about it at the right time. For example, if I was emailing them, emailing Selfridges about Christmas stuff now, they'd be like, well, you missed the vote because the Christmas store opens in September. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to learn all those things, right? You almost need like a whole retail year to really get in tune with the retail cycle for different types of retailers. But I guess also you just have to ask the retailers when they want to see things. So what kind of tips would you give someone that is like, oh, I want to be stocked by Selfridges or Liberties or whoever it is? What would be your tips? I would actually say, and obviously I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but I would really say to try your best to get your brand right before you do anything else. And it's really difficult when you're starting a business because, you know, there are certain areas that, you know, we're bootstrapping in. Um, but brand building is really not one of those areas that should be bootstrapped. Um, whether that's bootstrapping in terms of time. If you don't have a lot of time, you should be spending your time building your brand. So, you know, making sure that you have a really strong brand identity, making sure that your social media pages match your website so that when people land on your website, your virtual shop front, it doesn't look disjointed because then people will wonder if it's fake, whether it's real, etc. And it, if you're not used to these things or you don't think you understand it, just Google it. It's so easy to learn these things if you just dedicate yourself. Um, so definitely look at your branding. Really try and get that right. When you're building a brand, I always say to people, and you know, friends of mine will come to me and go, I think I'm cha- I'm thinking of changing my logo. And I'm like, but everyone knows you for being X, Y, and Z. And your logo is recognizable. This is why I've never, ever changed the Sassy Digital logo. I've never rebranded. I've only ever slightly tweaked the colors. The fonts have remained the same, everything. So that if people land back on the page, they'll go, oh, I visited this website, actually. Or I heard about them from X, Y, and Z. So I just think bannying around and changing your branding when you're a young brand is the worst thing you can do. So if you can get it right from the get-go, it doesn't have to be what you necessarily want it to be but it has to be what your customers want it to be and what the actual whole premise of the brand is um so yeah that would be my first tip my second tip would be can you see your items being stocked on the shelf at wherever you want it to be and if the answer isn't well if the answer is you don't know go into the shop let's look at Oliver Bonus for example you go in there you get to the till so many brands buy the till there's so many brands stocked on the shelves the way that they lay things out in that store is very much you know similar in each of the stores um anthropology another good one they've got a whole gift section by the um by the tills there would your product 
be stand out in that situation? If the answer is no, then you need to do something about your, your packaging, whether that's yeah, your so important. or the box. And if you really want to make your business work, you will have to spend money in those areas. Um, it's That is just a fact. You can't produce something that looks like it's homemade and expect it to sit on a shop floor because it's just not the way that it's going to work. The, the reason is, obviously, if you're competing against loads of other brands in a shop, you want that packaging to stand out because you want people to go, oh, what's that? That's interesting. And that can even come actually down to your brand name because people probably look at Partner in Wine and go, what's a Partner in Wine? And that intrigues them. So, and then just making sure that everything that you're creating, whether you're on camera and you feel comfortable doing that or not, making sure that it's in line with that brand. So for example, with Partner of Mine, everything's super fun. It's like, you know, I'm just here to have a good time vibe. And that's what, you know, drinking a glass of wine is like. It all kind of like seamlessly soaks into one. Whether or not I want to be on camera that day or not, I'll always post something that is in line with that i'll never just post something you know willy-nilly um mm. because you want everyone to get on board with it and i think i've built a brand that people are so on board with and supportive whether that's customers at home or brands um one example i'll give is morrison's bloody love them they are so great the guy from morrison's always sends me messages like hyping me up on Instagram like (laughs) they even sent me a pink bottle of champagne to celebrate the everything blanket launch and just said like congrats it's like so nice to be able to have those kinds of um you know contacts and I, I guess I do have a lot of I scratch your back you scratch mine promoting other brands and wines etc um but making sure that you can actually get people on board with your story on board with your products um is really going to help you if you want retailers to reach out to you because that's how it's happened for me people have gone oh I saw your video on TikTok I saw you did x y and z um you've got to get yourself out there as much as possible but social proof that your products are selling will make you even more desirable to retailers um and so if you're doing well on social media unfortunately that's the world we live in but like if you're doing well on social media and brands can see that retailers can see that then that will definitely help your cause as well and you know there's lots of ways around it but I think the whole going down the social media route is so interesting because it's just another take on it and it's using like whatever I guess modern tools there are to to not only grow your retail sales, but in the way you've done it in one way, but grown two sales channels, which is pretty awesome. So what is coming up now? What are the future plans? Obviously, product launches that we're not sure what they are yet. Well, you are. Saying, but... you know, I'm not revealing my future plans. <laughs> but you have product, new product launches that you will be marketing, I guess, loads. and. Yeah. I will always say to people, come and watch me do a launch because I don't want to blow my own horn. But I am, so there's one thing that I'm good at, it's building that anticipation for a launch. Um, yeah. And this is how you can like emulate that success is watching what someone does. Don't watch it from a place of like, I really like that post. Look at it from a place of like strategy and frequency. Like, how often am I talking about my new products? 
Um, and what am I actually doing in order to get them out there? And so like mechanical wise, um, you know, looking at like, am I sending people to sign up to a mailing list to be the first to know or to be the first to shop? Um, those sorts of things. You can do it with any brand, but I do do it quite well. <laughs> I think you do an amazing job, but I actually think that's a really good point. It's also not like, you know, you do it really well, but because you share it openly on social media, it is actually quite easy for someone to sit down and go back on your feed and look at, okay, what was the purpose with this post? What did she actually say? What was the call to action? And equally with stories. And like, just think about how many times you mentioned that you have an upcoming launch. It's just, you, you know, you can get really geek out about it and watch it from that kind of perspective, not just like, yeah, I'm ready to buy something. But, you know. Yeah. I think it's really good to get yourself, if you have a business and you don't consider yourself good at marketing, I do it naturally because I am a marketeer by trade. So if I see something, I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And I need to make sure that I'm like watching what they do over the next X, Y, Z. Or I can see brands who who have that sort of mentality. Um, one particular brand I'm thinking of, they follow Partner in Wine. And so for their new launch, this is the strategy that they've taken. I'm like, that's really cool. I mean, not saying that that's down to me, but I have noticed um, brands who I love and follow haven't and you know we have that kind of reciprocal relationship um Mm. things out as well which I think is really cool and that that's the best part about social media is one brand finding another brand and then kind of watching what they do and how they do it that's exactly how I had a viral video in the first place um watching other small businesses seeing what they were posting on TikTok how they were telling their stories yeah and you know then you put your own spin on it and bang and also there's some familiarity then I guess for the viewer too even if it's a different spin on a like a video format they like to watch yeah exactly if um people listening wants to connect with you whether that is for partner in mind for you know the product based side or if they want help with their digital marketing how can they do that you can find me on at Partner in Wine UK on Instagram and TikTok. And you can also find my website on there as well. Um, and then on Instagram, you can find me at Lucy Hitchcock underscore or at Sassy Digital and websites are on there as well. Amazing. And obviously I'll pop that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Lucy, for coming on the podcast it's nice to chat and do the opposite thing from on your podcast and hearing your story a little bit more and thank you everyone who's listening i hope that you are enjoying the season so far if you are you can of course share and tag me over on instagram or if you're watching on youtube leave a comment or a thumbs up i'd love to know more about what things you want to hear and what who you want to hear from and then the podcast will be back next monday with another episode so i hope to see you then